Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Hi everyone and welcome back to BFR Radio. As we're all aware, BFR has really great effects on muscle strength and hypertrophy. What I've also tried to do in these podcasts is allude to the other benefits of BFR, such as a decrement in joint and tendon pain. So I came across this paper called Blood Flow Restriction Training After Achilles Tendon Rupture. And I think this paper has really great relevance, irrespective of the population group that you're working with or that you possibly might be listening to this podcast. As we can see in terms of traditional evidence out there that there's persistent deficits after Achilles tendon rupture, including significant strength and functional impairment at two years, irrespective of whether it's an operative or a non-operative treatment. Therefore, it's seen that maximizing that early mobilization and functional rehabilitation when possible is recommended to improve long-term outcomes. As we all know, BFR by itself or combined with submaximal exercises have been shown to result in favorable adaptations to skeletal muscle by creating the requisite environment for muscle hypertrophy and strength improvement. Furthermore, combined with BFR, the loads traditionally, as we know, are between 20 to 30 percent of the patient's one repetition, which is significantly lower than the traditionally recommended load needed for substantial increases in muscle size and strength, and that's around 60 to 75 percent of 1RM. With respect to the BFR, these low loads of 20 to 30% of RM have shown to be safe across many populations with the responses in blood pressure, coagulation, and delayed onset of muscle soreness similar to those seen with traditional resistance exercise. Together, the gains in muscle size and strength can optimize early post-injury rehabilitation and minimize the load on the soft tissue. This comes around that balance between mechanical stress and metabolic stress. Traditionally, we need that 60 to 75% of 1RM, which is high mechanical stress, which post-operatively or acute injury-wise, the patients just can't handle. And with the advantage of BFR being an increase in metabolic stress, we can get the same responses as high load lifting without that stress on the joint or the tendon or the musculotendinous junction and whatever might be injured. This paper here presented the case of two patients who sustained Achilles tendon rupture and completed a BFR protocol as part of their rehabilitation efforts. The first patient was a 29-year-old active duty soldier who sustained a left Achilles tendon rupture while playing competitive football. He underwent primary Achilles tendon repair that was complicated by an infection requiring formal operative debridement three weeks later. At this point, he then began a non-operative therapy regime with evidence of clinical healing. Unfortunately, at six months postoperatively, he continued to have severe functional weakness with dorsiflexion and plantar flexion. He demonstrated a compromised gait where he tried to offload that leg with the Achilles tendon rupture and also exhibited limited push-off in terminal stance and also required a single point cane for assistance with mobilization. His range of motion was measured at 10 degrees of dorsiflexion. In this case report, his range of motion was measured at 10 degrees of dorsiflexion and 60% of plantar flexion. Patient's ankle strength was measured in dorsiflexion and plantar flexion, and this was assessed in a Biodex medical system. For those people who aren't familiar with it, it's an isokinetic system which measures many limb movements in a range of movements at various resistances. In this here, what they did is patient performed five repetitions of ankle dorsiflexion and plantar flexion at 60 degrees per second, so that's quite a slow speed. 
followed by 90 seconds rest and then 10 reps of ankle dorsiflexion and plantar flexion at a faster speed of 120 degrees per second. At this point here, it was identified that he had compromised strength and functional deficits and therefore enrolled in a BFR training program. In this training program here, they used a Delphi tourniquet system, which had a 14 centimeter wide cuff used on the thigh. And this system holds a constant pressure through the whole range of movement of exercises. And they used 80% of arterial occlusion as measured by a Doppler probe. The regime he used in this session here was a leg press and a calf raise. He performed all the exercises for four sets using the typical 75 rep protocol. So first set at 30 reps and then three sets of 15 thereafter. Although typically in this sense, we would use a load of say 20 to 30% of 1RM. Because he was actually quite compromised with his strength, they actually couldn't get a true 1RM. So they just ensure that he trained to maximum capacity through the whole training session. And this is obviously why the benefit of BFR is so good, is that you can train at really low loads of 20 to 30% and actually get that gain that we're looking for. At the end of the five weeks, he experienced large plantar flexion strength improvements with a peak torque of 522% and 109% and power gains of 4,475% and 211% at 60 degrees and 120 degrees per second respectively. This is a massive improvement in strength. And this is obviously having the tourniquet at a distal portion to the actual compromised area. So obviously the Achilles tendon is that proximal area of issue and we've got the tourniquet on the thigh. Therefore, these large gains are really great to see. It's also important to note that although he had experienced large improvements, he continued to have persistent deficits in strength and power compared to the contralateral or uninjured extremity. He tolerated the BFR treatment well without any adverse events and on the completion of the five-week period of training, he was able to walk without the assistive device of the cane and return to a running program. As we can see there, a really positive outcome. He didn't get quite the equal gains back to the uncompromised side. I think the major benefit here was he was able to walk pain-free without any assistance and more importantly, able to run. The second patient was a 30-year-old male service member who originally sustained a right Achilles tendon rupture while sprinting. This was treated operatively with primary Achilles tendon repair and postoperatively he participated in an accelerated rehab protocol and recovered slowly owing to the persistent pain and stiffness. Here once again he had an operation on the right side, still had that pain and stiffness postoperatively but was able to get back to normal function. Then at eight months postoperatively he actually tore his left Achilles tendon while performing box jumps. In this case here, he opted for a non-operative treatment of this injury, consisting of early mobilization followed by an accelerated rehab protocol. At four months of post-injury, he denied any pain and was able to walk without difficulty, but was unable to run owing to the persistent weakness in his left lower extremity. Once again here, had the right Achilles go, had it operated on, but decided that after the left one going, that there would be no operation, but still had issues at four months, having a more conservative type approach. In terms of examination, he was only able to perform 13 calf raises on his left compared to 36 on his right. And also baseline isokinetic testing on the Bidex, similar to the first patient, was also performed. Similar to the first subject, he also performed a BFR training protocol for his left lower extremity using the 75 rep protocol. So that once again, that's the first set of 30 reps to fatigue and then three sets of 15 thereafter at 30% of his 1RM weight using the same tourniquet system at 80% of arterial occlusion. After the six weeks of the BFR training, after six weeks of BFR training using leg press and calf raises, similar to subject one, 
it experienced plantar flexure strength improvements of 56% and 47% respectively, and power gains of 69 and 79% at 60 degrees and 120 degrees per second respectively, compared with his initial testing. He tolerated the treatment quite well and had no side effects from the BFR training. And once again, the most important thing here was the functional outcome that he was able to return to running and sports after the rehab protocol. Here we can see that both of these cases that were presented in this paper had severe functional and strength deficits after the initial treatment of Achilles tendon rupture. They were treated at the same facility using the same rehab protocol. And the major outcome here was is that it was the addition of the BFR training was able to improve their rehab protocol and represents that modification to their therapy because of the lack of the response to the traditional standard rehab protocols that they previously employed. As we all know that the post-injury tissue requires time for healing to occur before adequate loads can actually be used. Therefore, as we know, the current practices focus on that early mobilization and that progressive strength protocol and the progressive strength and range of movement attainment whilst avoiding excessive and possibly detrimental stress on the tendon while it continues to heal after injury. However, as the paper highlighted for the two patients here, when you look at these current practices out there, they focus on the early mobilization and progressive strength and range of movement attainment through rehab protocols. We all know that we all try to avoid the excessive and the possible detrimental stress on a tendon while it continues to heal after injury. As we've seen from these two patients, they had followed these traditional type of protocols and hadn't get the gains that they had needed to get back to normal strength loads and normal function. And this is potentially because they just can't handle those loads of 70% of 1RM, which are required for optimal strength gains and muscle hypertrophy. And as we know, this is where BFR comes into its own. So again here, great example of two cases of a simple protocol of leg press calf raises, really low loads, put BFR in there and gone from not having great function to being able to get significant strength improvements with no adverse effects during the training period and importantly, getting back to proper function and being able to run again. Hope you enjoyed that one. Now we're going to go on to how you do BFR. On today's episode of How You Do BFR, I've got a good friend of mine, Alex Natira, who's the head of strength and power at GWS, the uh, AFL football club based out of Sydney. Welcome, Alex. Thanks uh, for inviting us along here, Chris. Good to catch up again too. Yeah, definitely. I'm in Sydney actually with him, so I took the opportunity to catch up with Alex. And he was actually on our other podcast, Snippet Sports Science, talking about the 3015 incremental fitness test. But I know he's doing some really good work with BFR, and I thought I'd take this opportunity to just dig a little bit deeper into what he's doing in this space because I really do find that there are some coaches out there that A, are exceptional strength coaches, but B, you know, they're using BFR, but they're doing some really special stuff. So I'm really just kind of interested in just understanding your story on, you know, how you got into it and what you're currently doing, just highlighting with a couple of case studies. So I'm just going to really just let you take over. Yeah, sure. Like we just said over coffee a second ago, that my, my actual first exposure was seeing you guys at work in Bath Rugby in 2009. And then um, I think you briefly told me about how, how that all came about just then over coffee. But that was my first exposure. And I remember speaking in depth to one of your physiotherapists who was working with one of your big-time players at the time, putting a cuff on him and, and getting him to do exercises. And 
And I knew at the place I was working at, at the uh, English Institute of Sport, we had some around the place, but wasn't sure how to go about it and what, what its benefits were. So from watching and learning, um, I then started dabbling way back in 2009 then. And it was very much around some of the guidelines that your physiotherapist told me at Bath Rugby. And I predominantly just used it with our rehab guys. That was kind of where it all started. Rehab guys, they're load compromised. They can't lift the loads that we want them to. So they all go on this blood flow restriction of some capacity straight away and fumble through the dark a little bit with that. We know, I think the way we would do it is we'd start at sort of 100 as a pressure gauge and and then every session we'd put a little bit more on, 10 on and then so on and just work our way up to what was tolerable but difficult, if you like. And we do schemes sort of working from kind of, you just have it on for that one exercise for that set while you're repping and then you release the valve and then when you're ready to go again, you put it back on and then the next session you do that set, keep it on through the rest and do the second set as well before you release it and we progress it that way throughout that sort of initial uses of blood flow restriction. And then over the years, we moved on and sort of expanded from just having it for the straight out and out guys in rehab to other guys who were just, again, load compromised, grumbly knees, older players, that sort of stuff. You know, could they... You know, in a heavy preseason schedule, could they lift lower body three times a week? Um, no, because with the running loads and the lifting loads, it was just too much for their hips and knees or whatever issues they had to be able to tolerate it. So then we then give them a key lift once a week, but then the other times in the week, we'd be able to put on blood flow restriction and get them working throughout that phase. So then it sort of, I guess, it moved from just rehab to compromise boys. And then now moving through to the, as the years, now we're talking like 10 years later, currently we, we'd use it not just with our new compromised boys and they all definitely use it. So we do extras with them. One of the reasons we, we sort of say extras with them is because they, they need it around their knee issues. They have you know less activation, things don't function as well and they almost need to be stimulated much more regularly. So we have to put it on them really. Uh, but we need to find out our avenues to be able to put them on them because you know they've got high running loads, high game loads, one lift a week, but they need more. So then we find avenues to put them on. Instead of lifting them with load more, we just pop the blood flow restriction on and lessen the load and get them doing more activities, knowing that that's going to be fine for them the next day when they have to run again or they have to do their key lift session the next day or, or they've got a game in one or two days' time. We offset that by using blood flow restriction in that capacity too. Yeah. And the players buy into that? And the players buy into it, especially the knee compromised boys. The other guys that, that feel and, and, and are pretty fit, and it's really about trying to sell it to them a little bit more. I and mean, that's when you, you bring out the science. And I mean, the classic, uh, we had breakfast the other day and we spoke about a player at the moment here that I think could, could do with doing some of it. More on his activation pre-main training session out on the deck. And I literally mentioned the term and said, I see, how, see all those rehabbers with their tourniquets on. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I see that. And this guy's an old established player. And I said, just met with a, a bit of a specialist in the area. And we discussed how that might be really good for your pain management before we get on the deck. And it was just that simple. And he went, well, let's try it. Boom. It was a, it was a pretty easy sell. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I think that's what I said to you is, is that you need to, when, when you're trying to sell something to someone, it doesn't have to be BFR, but you have to appease to something that's going to benefit them. In this case, pain. Pain, is, pain sucks. Mm. So that was my thing is if you can understand where they are at and you can help them out, I think that, that really helps in, in that respect. And over time, they become more interested. And they, people are educated. You know, I know football players, they'll go away and they'll start Googling what it's about and they'll start asking you a bit more. So that's, um, that's really cool. And what I also like about this is I, I've worked in AFL, as you know, 
And I found that out of all the footy codes that back in the days, they tended to be apprehensive to lift lower body. And I think that's changing over time with cultural shifts. So I think this is quite cool that if you have people who are being brought up in that culture where, you know, got to do lower body weights because we're going to go and run, you can actually then modify their tonnage they do in the gym. They can do BFR feel really good and actually gain a benefit for their running. Absolutely. And I can, I can give a, an example of just this week alone on our Wednesday key lower body lift session. I had programmed a pretty moderate load, to be honest, an 80% 1RM on a trap bar deadlift with just three reps. So they would have had a substantial number of reps in the tank and we were actually only working up to a one working set. So they're warming up to one working set and that's it. That's based off of travel last week and a lot of different things, monitoring and whatever we do. That 80% for one of our players, a very key player, he had maybe one in the tank left after three reps. So it was significantly harder than it should have been. And he had some concerns about this. And I said to him, look, there's a number of different strategies we do that we, we can do in season when you're banged up and he plays a position that's really combative. And so I said, look, when you're banged up, we've got a different, few different options probably for another podcast. But one of them was let's drop your load down to 70 to 60%, right? You're going to have lots of reps in the tank. I'm going to get your cuffs on you. Lift with your cuffs. We'll get the stimulus we need. There's plenty of evidence, but also experience that your strength will not diminish and you might actually get a little spike on certain things and you'll feel really good as well. And any muscle mass issues we're going to be able to cater for too, there won't be a drop in that. And we can do that as many times as you want. And he was like, done, let's do that because I don't want to be bottoming out at 80% again. I said, yeah, yeah. we'll bring that in. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And, and you know, the, the paper by Christian Cook, they showed that squatting at 70% of RM, they actually, and this is in experienced rugby union players, had improvements in squat performance, uh, muscle hypertrophy, but also upper body strength as well. And, you know, we, we spoke about this in an athletic population. Load is key. You, you, you can't get away with lifting 20% RM and go, oh, but we're using BFR. You have to put some load on. However, you know, we were talking about why aren't people doing studies firstly, but you know, why squat 70%, 80% RM, you know, do one or two and use that in a minute type pressure strategy. So, you know, it's really nice to hear that you've taken that and, and run with it and buy in. And these are professional athletes. So how far do they run in a game, Alex? Oh, anywhere from 12 and some of our longest and biggest runners will run up to 18 kilometers in a game. In, in a game over, it's um, like two hours? Yeah, three hours all up, including yeah. all the breaks and stuff. Sure. But yeah, you're right, two hours of actual game time. And then during a week, What's your running load there? Oh, it can vary from – it can go for a very, very big preseason week. can be up to 40Ks. And then in season, you know, it can be up to 12Ks, you know, 12, maybe 15Ks. And what you've got to, I think, understand here is, is that they're not middle distance runners. You know, these, these men have muscle. These are quite athletic men who have to run a lot, sprint, turn on a dime. It's a 360-degree game. Those who aren't familiar, there's contact as well. So that plays a huge effect on it. So they're lifting big loads. And I think that's what we've got to remember is that they're pretty special athletes to be able to have endurance but have um, repeat speed or speed endurance and have that expectation that the strength that they have in the gym is going to improve. No, absolutely. It's definitely a careful management of these players because of the demand of that game itself and then the fact that there is, like you say, a demand on being able to be strong and being strong to tolerate loads as well. So that's why we get with our use of BFR can be really clever in terms of when we put it in. They have a key lifting session four days after a game, three days before a game. So when can we fit it in while they're recovering before the main training session? And then while they're recovering before the game, we can slip it in with BFR on lighter loads then. And then, like I said, the compromise boys, 
we can pop that in and that can almost help out with another 10, 15% of what we're taking off of the weights, if you like. So a couple of really good examples there, high load lifting and for the load compromise, uh, oh, three examples and then how to engage an athlete who been around a long time. Have you got any other examples, exercise examples that you've found fits really well with? Yeah, really simply, our, our knee boys who we gauge lack the muscle mass in their quads quite often. They just, if you don't, do it, they just run off a cliff and they just start shrinking again. It's really, really apparent and it might be because of the catabolic nature of, of our game. We have them constantly doing a, a little circuit and it's literally cuffs on both legs or if there's one leg, that's certainly the one that's most affected in terms of muscle mass. Then we'll do reverse sled walking, fairly moderate loads if you like on them, sort of nowhere beyond 50% of body mass. They'll do reverse sled walking and they'll go over to the leg extension. They'll keep the cuff on, especially when they're already accustomed to it. They'll keep the cuff on and, and pressure on the whole time. Go over the leg extension, do single leg leg extensions, and then go over the leg press and do leg press and then release it. So that's probably around about three, somewhere between three to five minutes, depending on how diligent they are and moving from one to the other and whatever. So five minutes on. Then they'll release and then they'll pump it back up and get that circuit done three times. And we found that really effective twice a week, uh, really effective in being able to return their quad bulk. So that's been really good for us. And it's happened relatively quickly. Some of our boys, certainly in the preseason that we noticed and we, we wanted to increase their quad bulk, I reckon over somewhere between three to six weeks, that was happening. Now, we weren't measuring it every week. That's why I say between three to six weeks. So their bulk had been returned back to the unaffected side. And then, and if we stop doing it, it drops because we're just relying on that one key heavy lifting session a week. And it just doesn't seem to be enough with all the catabolic nature of their training and their games that are going on. So then we're able to get that BFR on again twice a week on top of that. And they keep their cock bulk nicely. That's great because they've also got other demands. You know, they've got their off-feed conditioning, their run do during the week as well. Exactly. And they feel good off the back of it too. That's one of the key things that you're talking about, pain management. They feel very good off the back of it. And they come to me if if by chance the, the, the week doesn't pan out, like we've got a short turnaround, a six-day turnaround, we've got to fly across the country and it doesn't turn out that we can feasibly get this in, they come to me. You know, when can we get this in? When can we get this in? So they're, they're desperate. So that's that just shows me that there's a link there too, whether it's a placebo or whether it's actual feeling that they, they're getting from this, there's something there that makes them connected to it and they want to have this. They know that it's an important stimulus. So it might be a week where we're not lifting legs at all because of this turnaround, but they're like, but we'll do that though, yeah? We're going to do that though, aren't we, Coach? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll find a way to get that in. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's the hardest one, get that player buy-in and once you've got that, it's self-propelling, isn't it? Exactly, 100%. Yeah, any other examples? Mate, there was a, a good one that you mentioned to, to bring up a case study. I've got a few, those, those boys, but um, there was one girl I worked with, a rugby player, international rugby player, and she had three ACLs and essentially her career was, was, was over really. They kind of signed her off and we were phasing her out of our institute program at that stage. She couldn't lift, she couldn't run, she'd go to training. It was an absolute nightmare. Her just knees were just so badly shot and hamstring grafts she had had, there wasn't, wasn't much left there on her hamstrings. And so we actually didn't lift her at all. But I just BFR'd her, leg press, leg extensions, leg curls, bridges, just BFR'd her. And she played another 10 tests. Wow. So that's in women's international rugby. That's two seasons, you know. So, so she ended up playing, extending her career, managed to be able to train during the week, only, only one session, but was good enough to then play her club games, which then qualified her to get to the international stage. She did enough to play well in the club games to play international games. 
and then move forward and extend her career by two years. So there was still no avenue for us to lift. As soon as we tried to squat or trap bar or anything with, with real load, we just went backwards and we regressed. But we kept on BFR the whole time, which was really good. So that's two years. And that, that's remarkable, actually. <laughs> was there anything else you did BFR, aside any other strategies you used in that post-game that, like, did you use game-ready pressure, uh, supplements and all that? Do you think useful tools and toolbox? Well, she, I mean, of course, she did her, all of her, you know, the key tenants on her brief, So she had to be very strict. And then weight management was a key thing with her too. You know, that was a very, very important. The girl carried a match. She played a position that was, again, very combative. She needed a bit of bulk in her. But if we could reduce the bulk and, and just make sure she was leaner, we then had less from the ground as well. So that probably saved her as well with the BFR. We upped the level of recovery. So she would, you know, for that next 72 hours post-game, she was really hot in her recovery from the normal strategies, from skins to ice baths to, to water immersions and, and mobility sessions in the pool and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, we didn't do BFR recovery-wise. That's something now sort of I'm learning more from you and looking to implement with my guys here. But for her, it was just really strong recovery strategies. When it came to lifting, everything as normal in the upper body, but the lower body, we just would look after her and just get her on those cuffs and keep it going, keep the stimulus going in there. Uh, she pushed heavy sleds as well. So she pushed heavy sled, but even then, if we went too much on that, the knee got grumbly. So we had to be very careful. It was all about minimal effective dose. What running could she get away with to get up to play the game and then just look after in the gym and try and maximize the low loads that we could use in the gym by putting her in BFR. You know, nowadays, we probably pop, pop her in heat chambers and all sorts of things too, yeah, you know, to make true. it even better. <laughs> yeah. From my end, Alex, that's great. It's really good insight from top SSC coach, being able to implement a tool in a multitude of different scenarios across different athletes, male and female. And I guess the thing I like about it also the simplicity. You've kept it simple and you kept it real and you've got that buy-in, which I think is imperative. And perhaps you know, I find athletes, but football players can be some of your hardest sell mm. in terms of people. So if you can, you can crack them, um, that really helps. Thanks for sharing about that. So just before we go, you do some really great stuff around isometrics and, and eccentrics. And so if you're not following Alex on Twitter and Instagram, please do so. So how can they follow you if they're not at the moment? Pretty sure the Twitter is Alex underscore Natera, spelled N-A-T-E-R-A. And Instagram is Alex Natera. They're the best ones, really. Direct message me on any of those formats and more than happy to share or, or debate for that matter. Perfect. And you're in the middle of your season with the AFL competition. And I do know that you also do some, some educational work as well. Have you got anything coming up in that space? Yeah, I hope to. We, we had a few things in the pipeline to come up. Um, we may be on a little trip over to the States to do a few workshops over there over the off-season. And I'm looking at doing a workshop here based in Australia, probably Sydney again in the off season as well what that actually comprises of it's, it's probably around the isometrics and the, the eccentric side of things but we might actually expand a little bit more depending on who else is interested and maybe get a few of us chatting about certain things and probably something else to look out for is uh, the child the champion so mike young his group going to be coming over which i'm aligned with and we'll probably put a big child the champion conference on sometime if not this year early next year so something to look forward to and look out for. So and I'll put them on, on social media. So if you're following me there, you'll see when that's coming around. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's, uh, I really do appreciate it. And good luck for the rest of the season. And I'm sure we'll get you on uh, one of my podcasts pretty soon. Sweet. I'll have to publish something soon. Chris, eh? <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's all today for this episode of BFR Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to take part in the podcast, please contact me through my website or on social media channels at Chris Cavillio. For more information and to order a set of your own BFR cuffs, please visit my website at sportsrehab.com.au. Thanks for listening and keep the pump. (laughs) 